Our text this morning starts in verse 27, and there are several uh, uh, passages, uh, paragraphs in today's section, and they will all hang together and support a common theme as we'll make plain. Let's read God's word first. Luke 11, beginning in verse 27. As he, Jesus, said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Thus far we read in God's good and holy word, may he bless it to all who hear, believe, and obey and keep it. Amen. Amen. It sounds like several different episodes, uh, uh, shouting with a woman and then talking about Jonah and then the Queen of Sheba and something about lamps. Uh, what, what do all these things have in common? I think the words of Jesus in verse 28 tell us his theme and the inspired Dr. Luke who's assembling this gospel, who's selectively taking the things that happened and that Jesus said and putting them next to each other for us to read, Luke picked up on that theme and is supporting it with all these items. What is the theme? The theme is Jesus taking care as the crowds grew and followed him towards Jerusalem, taking care to clarify true discipleship. Who really is a Christian? Who is really hearing the word and keeping it? Do you see that? And Jesus pronounces a, a beatitude, blessed be those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's the theme for this section. And, and when we get to the next section, we'll see he's countering the Pharisees. So it goes on to something else. But here Jesus is trying to speak in an arresting way with this gathered crowd about what following him really looks like. It's not just physical following. 
It's those who hear, believe, and obey the word of God. That should be woven throughout this whole passage. Let's take a look. First, we're going to look at these two verses, 27 and 28, where he's interacting with a woman in the crowd, a mother who cries out a blessing upon Mary, the mother of Jesus. What these first two verses will show us is that spiritual things matter more. Spiritual connections matter more. It's not so much who your mother was, it's what have you done with the word of God. So there's that turn that Jesus implements. But first, let's not overlook the fact that someone is calling out a blessing on Mary, the mother of Jesus. And you know what? I know this is a Protestant church, so hang on. It's okay to be thankful for Mary. It's okay to say, bless be Mary for her faithfulness when God called her to carry the Messiah. The woman who cries out as only a mother can, I think. I'm I'm convinced she was a mother and she sees Jesus and she's been following Jesus, believes Jesus to be the Messiah perhaps, and says, God bless your mother, sir. That's a worthy thing. In fact, back in Luke chapter 1, remember it was Luke's gospel way back in chapter 1 that recorded Mary's own song. We call it Mary's song or her Magnificat where she understood what God was doing. Do you remember this from Luke 1, verses 46 and following? Mary said, or sang, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. We'll come back to that. For, Mary continues, He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary knew that What she was about to do as a servant of the Most High, a woman, a virgin, to carry the Messiah and have him born into the world, that was a tremendous honor. And and she speaks prophetically. Women will call her blessed. Yes, in fact, this woman, on that occasion in front of Jesus, fulfills Mary's prophecy. Maybe this was the first to say, uh, blessed be Mary, the mother of Jesus. She is to be appreciated. She is a model for our faith. If you want to look for some of the most faithful people of the Bible, Mary's right up there. But here's the footnote. Unlike some in other Christian divisions, not necessarily Protestant divisions, Mary is adored. And oftentimes people slip into Mary worship. And that's not right. Worship is for the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not for Mary, not for any of the saints. You're unclear about that? Read the Bible. It should not be. Mary herself said, I am a sinner saved by grace. God is my Savior, said Mary. What she said is true. But she was a faithful woman. Oh, what a faithful and upright young woman she was to have raised Jesus and to have played the part that God called her to play. So blessed be Mary, but don't worship Mary. Mary is not the one who will pray for you or intercede for you. That's Jesus. We can clarify that if you have questions. See me afterwards. But you know, there's more being said here. This woman who cries out, blessed be Mary, 
Jesus, he's probably nodding. And he says something further. He says, blessed rather are those, or blessed more than that, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus goes beyond and he focuses on the spiritual truth that true blessing is not physical affiliation with Jesus or physical proximity to Jesus as the crowds physically followed him. He said true blessing is hearing the word of God which I have brought and keeping it. That is profound. Jesus isn't isn't putting this woman down. He's not rebuking her, but he's saying, hey, let's look at something more important than who my mother was. Let's look at why I am here. I've come to bring the word, come to make the word of God known. I've come to tell you about the Father. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus' whole ministry was one of revelation. So he says, true blessing? It's those who hear, believe, and keep the word of God. As Phil Riken says, and rightly observes, this blessing is available to everyone and anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. We do not have to be members of his biological family to have a blessing. You don't need to be Jewish. You don't need to be related to Jesus or Mary. That should be obvious. It's what Jesus says. There is blessing for anyone who hears my word believes it and keeps it blessing for anyone that's good news that's exciting and he makes it plain with just that simple declaration thinking further along the physical tie it was said a preacher named douglas milne who said a physical tie or connection to jesus is inconsequential if a spiritual tie is missing we remember at one point the, the physical family of Jesus, some of his brothers, stepbrothers or whatnot, came and wanted to take him out of ministry. And, and he looked around at the room of Christians and he said, you are my brothers, my sisters, my mothers. The physical ties are secondary to spiritual truths and spiritual connections. Blessed are those who hear and keep the word, Jesus says. And you know what? What are the blessings Jesus has in view here? Blessed are those who hear and keep God's word. What blessing is he thinking of? Well, true blessedness, as one commentary says, uh, is, is not a statement about success or physical well-being, though these are also blessings from God. Rather, it says, To be blessed means to have peace with God through Christ and peace within ourselves. Well-being. Shalom. That's the heart of the blessing. Peace with God and peace in life. Peace in death and peace in eternity. These are blessings that are profound. The Bible has always presented the blessings of God in that spiritual light. And they are connected, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, with the Word of God. In the middle of your Old Testament is the book of Psalms. I don't know if you know that if you open your Bible, it'll often fall right to the middle. And it's in the book of Psalms. That talks about the the spiritual life of God's people of old. And it shows us a lot about faith. It shows us a lot about God. The first of those 150 Psalms is perhaps the most important. 
And some say that it's not only an introduction to all the Psalms, but perhaps Psalm 1 is an introduction to the message of the Bible. Psalm 1 talks about this blessedness. In light of what Jesus declares, isn't he summarizing Psalm 1? That there's a blessing from keeping God's word? Let me read Psalm 1. It's uh, back to school season. And if you're getting back to Bible study and you're not sure what you're going to study in your daily devotions or at home, start with Psalm 1. Spend a week in Psalm 1. Memorize it. It will serve you well. Listen to what Psalm 1 declares. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And then it goes on to talk about the blessings that come from that. He, the one who's delighting and meditating, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Blessing from being engaged with the word of God. That's what Jesus is declaring here to this woman. There are blessings for those who serve God, like Mary did, but Jesus says so much more are these spiritual matters. These blessings are real and they are spiritual And I'm glad that Jesus points us in that direction. He's clarifying what it means to be a true disciple and a follower. And it's not just physically being in the crowd. Oh yeah, I was was there the day he did that one miracle. I, I was 10 yards away at most and I saw it with my own eyes. It's not the physical proximity to Jesus. It's spiritual engagement with the truth that he brings. And that also leads to this next section. And and it may sound confusing, but I think we can just simplify it and see what's here, if you'll you'll bear with me, when he talks about Jonah and the Queen of the South, who we also know as the Queen of Sheba. We'll, We'll cover all of that. But what this next section will tell us is that God's word, when it is brought, or when God's word is observed in action, it is sufficient. Let me make sure we know that word sufficient. Sufficient is a very important word. In fact, it's a very important doctrine. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. God's word is able in and of itself to accomplish what God wants. It is sufficient for life and godliness, we're told by the Apostle Peter. It is able to make us wise unto salvation, says the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. God's word is sufficient. And the word sufficiency means the condition or quality of being adequate or sufficient. Something of, uh, especially when something is essential. Sufficient. It will work. It will get it done. It doesn't need uh, help or supplement. It is sufficient in and of itself. That's what Jesus is going to talk about next. And his audience is primarily Jewish people who are following him. And he's already said, number one, you should hear and keep the word. That's most important. So he's going to talk about the sufficiency of that word. Let's take a look. 
And the first thing, we have to first see something that's not sufficient. So that's where Jesus begins in verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, and the narrator tells us that, so we see that Jesus has a little bit more urgency to clarify what following him is all about. It's not physical, it's spiritual. When the crowds were increasing, he, Jesus, began to say, this generation, and he's looking around at all these followers, is an evil generation. What? He goes on to explain. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So the first thing Jesus says to the gathered crowd as they press around him, trying to be close, he says that uh, if you're just seeking a sign, I rebuke you. If you're just seeking a sign, you're seeking the wrong thing. Signs in and of themselves are not sufficient. How can I say that? Well, let me ask. Has Jesus done any miracles in the first 10 chapters of Luke? Yes. Any big ones? Yes. Miracles like the feeding of thousands of people out of thin air, producing food, showing himself to be a creator, God, showing compassion, healing, casting out demons, even though some people thought he was doing it by Beelzebul. Jesus had given them signs across the spectrum. The problem wasn't a lack of evidence. The problem is this, that signs are never sufficient. People who crave and live by signs always want one more. Oh, well, could you do this? Could you jump through that hoop? I'd be really convinced if you could. So Jesus shocks them to get a hearing, to, 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 to wean them off uh, Suddenly, all this sign-seeking says this is the wrong direction. It's an evil generation that pursues this. Well, why would it be evil? Because they're neglecting the word of God and preferring a dog and pony show. Jesus uses a sudden and drastic measure to try to break them out of that. He pronounces this judgment, this sign-seeking Because all along they have had the incarnate Son of God in their presence. Yeah, if God would do this, if God, well, how about if God became flesh and dwelt among us? Emmanuel, the promised of centuries in your midst, walking with you, doing miracles, speaking to you, looking at you. People, come on, you want another miracle? You're looking at the Messiah. And we know this is what Jesus is emphasized because when he talks about Jonah, when he talks about the Queen of the South, he will say twice, one greater is right here. He is pointing to himself. He says, come on, people. What else do you need? Jesus here has an urgency, I think. He's going to the cross. He doesn't want these people just to be along for the show or have autograph seekers following him to have something physical and tangible. He wants spiritual disciples so that they can have a hope of heaven. Sign seekers are rebuked. That's verse 29. Then he goes on to talk about uh, Jonah and Nineveh. If you don't know that story, it's a quick read. Jonah just has four chapters. Yes, it involves his uh, naval experiment. Uh, how long can you live underwater in the belly of a great fish? That's all there in the Bible. I believe it 
literally, historically happened that way. That's the way the Bible speaks of it. That's the way Jesus speaks of it. But what does he say here? He's just told them, stop looking for a sign and start using your ears. Listen, verse 30. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And then also verse 32. The men of Nineveh, that's the city, the major capital of godless people, wicked people. That's where Jonah went. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Jesus is telling us something about the sufficiency of the word. Yes, if you have a study Bible and you're aware that when Matthew's gospel talks about Jonah, Matthew's gospel adds the three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. Because there's a picture there of the resurrection. The resurrection will be additional. I think Jesus has both the preaching of Jonah and the resurrection in view. But right here, Luke wants us to focus on hearing and responding to a word of God that is sufficient to bring us good news. So he's highlighting Jonah's preaching. The word preached sufficed. Not for the Jews to whom God had a relationship, but it sufficed for a Gentile nation. The Ninevites, why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Why did he run away? I hope you know the answer. You don't know the story of Jonah. Uh, You're missing out because he was a religious guy who didn't want to see God be merciful to his enemies. Yeah, those are really wicked people, Lord. I I don't want to go there and, and give them any hope of deliverance. I want you to just crush them. Nuke them now. Turn them into a parking lot. That's kind of Jonah's thinking. And the Lord got a hold of Jonah. Jonah went and he declared judgment. But in the mercy of God, the king and the people of that great city, tens of thousands of people repented. And it was only for a generation. But God was merciful and those people were spared. They heard the preaching of this pasty white guy from Israel named Jonah. They heard this message who is this guy? Let's go beat him up. No, they, the word of God preached brought the king and all the people of Nineveh to repentance. Because our God, our powerful God, who spoke and things came into being, speaks through human preachers to deliver a word that can change lives. There's sufficiency in the word of God preached. We get excited about a a Billy Graham crusade that sees thousands converted. Praise God for that ministry. But Jonah, to see a whole pagan Gentile nation that didn't even know the God of Jonah, they repented at his preaching. That's what Jesus is saying. They're going in the right direction, but you guys, I'm here, a greater than Jonah's here, and you're not responding to the word. I'm preaching. Why be sign-seeking skeptics when one greater than Jonah is here? And he also goes on to tell us the sufficiency of the word by bringing up another Old Testament story. See, these were Jewish people. They were following him, and he's trying to get through to be hearers of the word. So he talks about Jonah and the Gentiles in Nineveh, and then he talks about a Gentile queen who came and responded. That's the next point. 
Verse 31, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. This is the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba. And in the Old Testament, you'll find it in two places, the story. First Kings chapter 10. But also, since there's a repeat of the history, in Second Chronicles chapter 9. 1 Kings chapter 10 is what I looked at. And there she's called the Queen of Sheba. And where is Sheba? A quick geography quiz. Well, in the ancient world, we, it's not on our maps today. In the ancient world, it was most likely Yemen and maybe parts of Ethiopia. And yeah, some scholars think it included all of Egypt as well. That, that's just kind of the easy answer. I, I, I don't know. But it was from the south. You have to remember, if you have a map in your Bible, you can see Jerusalem... And then you see the great Sinai Peninsula. And at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula is a little country called Yemen. And just across the Strait of Hormuz is a point, and that's Ethiopia. She came from the south. And she went north up the Arabian Peninsula to see Solomon. And she brought him gifts. And and the story's in the Bible. And when she got there, according to 1 Kings 10, this is what happened. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports. You see what the story's hinging on? Responding to the manifestation of the words and wisdom of God. I did not believe the reports until I came and with my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants, she says, who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord. And she uses the name Jehovah, your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord Jehovah loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. A Gentile queen, without the Old Testament promises of Messiah, comes, meets Solomon, who's a type of Christ. He is the wise king, the son of David. And she responds. Jesus brings her up. Why? Because the people in his presence should respond. If you've heard the teachings of Jesus... If you said, wow, Jesus was really wise when he said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar and unto God what is God's. Wow. And people say that today. If you've encountered the wisdom of Jesus, you should respond. It doesn't serve to say, well, I I need to hear more or I would need to see a miracle in my time. There are people throughout history, men and women, who heard from God, who observed the wisdom and ways of God, and they responded appropriately. Everyone who hears about Jesus, who reads the Bible, will be accountable to God. And there will be people at the day of judgment who will say, why didn't you believe? That's what Jesus is clarifying. There is a sufficiency to the word of God and the living word of God. He's greater than the preaching of Jonah. He's greater 
than Solomon. And by the grace of God, many were learning that. Wisdom sufficed for a Gentile nation. Wisdom sufficed for a Gentile queen. The ancient church father Bonaventure said Solomon was wise, but Christ is wisdom itself. Alexander McLaren, the great English preacher, Jesus Christ is the perfect encyclopedia of all moral and spiritual truth. If you've encountered Jesus in his word, you need to respond and believe. Because you see... We're adding a point here. You see, we have more than they did. We have more than the crowds that day who heard the woman shouting about Mary and Jesus' reply. What do we have that's more? We know of the resurrection. They may not have gotten to the resurrection. We have the complete Bible. We have all four gospel accounts that have put together the life and teaching of Jesus for us to come to faith. Isn't that why John's gospel is written? These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing have life in his name. We have the four gospels. We have the history of the book of Acts to see how the gospel bore fruit. We have the epistles of the New Testament explaining to us The theology that makes God the justifier of sinners. How does that work? How is Jesus a greater sacrifice? We have the book of Hebrews. We have all the Bible. And we have God's word still preached by preachers filled with the Holy Spirit to press this truth upon us. We have so much more than they did. Will we be of any less account than they At the day of judgment, would anyone in America today, anybody who's heard preaching today, anybody who's looked at their Bible or been told the gospel, we are of greater privileges and greater will be the judgment. To whom much is given, much is required. And perhaps today with Jesus shouting out that, or trying to point people to himself. Could today be the day that you bend the knee to this Jesus? You've heard and heard and heard. Stop waiting. This word is sufficient for you to put your faith in this word and to be able to say with other Christians in this room, If I were to die today because of the grace of God to me in Jesus Christ, I would go to heaven. I'd be forgiven all my sins at the day of judgment. Not for anything I have done, but because of what Christ has done. He came, he died, he rose again to give life to sinners like me. Believe the good news. We're not done. One more section. Because Jesus is not just clarifying the sufficiency of his word. My word is enough to turn people around. And I'm here telling it to you. He goes on, and in verses 33 to 36, he speaks of safeguarding this spiritual enlightenment, this spiritual understanding. If something has clicked with you, if a light has come on for you, you need to be careful to let that light penetrate through your whole body, soul, spirit, and mind. That's 
where this last section adds. Jesus, again, is clarifying where blessing is to be a spiritual disciple, to receive the word and to keep it. He says, you really do have to keep the light. If something makes sense to you and the light goes off, keep it. Let it illuminate your whole. Don't turn from it. Here, these are the words that we start with, the words of Jesus. Verse 33, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. And hang on, because he's going to take the metaphor and and turn it in a different angle. Verse 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. That's a key phrase. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Jesus here is not only teaching us about the importance of safeguarding spiritual understanding, but he has a softer tone, you can tell, because as he perhaps has shocked some in the crowd and gained a hearing, he's giving them hope and encouragement. Because some people that were following him physically are now thinking, yes, I believe these words. He's saying, that's it. Hang on to that truth. Let's unpack it. First, he gives this metaphor of lighting a lamp. Lighting a lamp. Given the context of verse 33, he's not talking about our witnessing, but he's talking about if you are a Christian, if Jesus has turned on the lights for you, if you're born again and, oh boy, I can now see and understand things, I've been enlightened, then he tells us that we should be careful with that. Christians know Christ. Christ is the light in us, like a lighthouse for all. Uh, As one commentator took pains to say, Jesus has enough lumens to pull all this off. He is the one that illumines us unto eternal life. Do you remember how John's gospel in John chapter 1 spoke about Jesus? In that uh, wonderful, uh, creative way, he introduced the gospel of John in chapter 1. He said, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. The word became flesh. The word, the light of the world, came into the world. That's Jesus. And if he has illuminated and enlightened you if you've become a christian the gospel makes sense and the lights are on that's what he's talking about here that's the metaphor that he's presenting us and you know it's important to cap to to take each scripture i mean because in previous he's talking about letting your light shine for others here he's going to talk about light coming into your eyes and into your body so he's going to talk about the healthy eye Verse 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. And that, that perhaps uh, is, is where some people wonder, what, where is he going? Think of lamp in terms of window, something that introduces the light to the rest. 
He's talking about this opening, or, or if you're a camera guy, the aperture, uh, letting light inside to the body. And, and that should make sense. We use all our senses. Boy, I didn't write them down. What are all the senses? Taste, touch, sight, hearing, smell. And I should know, my smell is returned, so thank you for that. What, what do our senses do? They allow us to take data in. So the eyes take this light in. If we, our eyes have been opened, we believe in Jesus, we're taking in truth. Jesus says, let that light go to the whole body. If your eye is working... Jesus wants us not only to hear the word, but to keep it and use it. I love what Paul writes to Colossians about the word of God in Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It comes in and it dwells. And he says, let it dwell richly. In other words, give it full possession of the place. Mi casa su casa. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And he goes on to say, uh, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. As the word comes in, as the eyes have beheld and illumined, as you think and ponder and learn, it will affect everything you do. That's what Jesus is saying. True disciples hear, believe, and obey the word. He does talk about the unhealthy eye, right? He goes on and he's very explicit. He said, uh, uh, but when it is bad, when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. What's the key thing here? Jesus is shining. He's the light of the world. There's no problem with Jesus. As Phil Riken points out, in our unbelief, we generally assume that the problem is outside of us. The problem is not outside of us. You can read the good news. Jesus is alive. He can make himself known. The problem is with the will to disbelieve, the wanton doubts that won't hear Jesus, that just want another sign. They're putting off a decision. That's the problem. If you close your eyes to the truth, that's the problem. You won't see your life changed unless you take in the gospel and believe it. And have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the problem. And Jesus is just putting it in these metaphors to those who hear and those who see. So that they let God's truth have its way with them. Verse 35, therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Don't close your eyes. Don't close your ears. Don't start doubting and disbelieving. Walk by faith. Be strong and courageous. Pay attention to this word and, and don't go to the left or the right. Be careful to do according to all that's in it, Jesus is saying. And then you'll be prosperous and successful. You'll be blessed. Because as Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's true. I've been a disciple of Jesus for over four decades. That's true. I wouldn't change anything for knowing Christ and having this Bible. Safeguard your spiritual understanding, my friends. It is so important. 
Paul prayed about that spiritual understanding. One of the profound prayers of the Bible in Ephesians 1. And it's really long, so I can't quote the whole thing. But you'll hear how he prays as he starts that gem of an epistle. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew the lights were on in Ephesus. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That's how Paul prays for Christians. Just as Jesus said to the crowd, it's more about hearing and keeping the word. Keep the lights on. Don't close your eyes to this truth. If you know Christ is the true light, will you walk in that light? Well, let's wrap up this morning with some words of exhortation. I have three words, and I think I gave you the starting letter on the outline, just to make sure you stick stick with me. The first word is hunger. That's my first exhortation. Hunger, not for lunch. You'll get that eventually. Hunger for the word of God. Hunger for the word of God. I like that verb rather than just say study or desire. Hunger. I know when I'm hungry. And people around me know when I'm hungry. Are you hunger, hungry for the word of God? Or are you looking for something else? Is God's word that sufficient and delicious and satisfying food for your soul that Jesus says it is? Do you hunger for the word of God? It's always good at back to school time for Christians to say, am I an active disciple? Am I taking in God's word? What am I reading these days? If I ask you at the back as you're leaving today, what are you reading these days? Do you have an answer in terms of scripture? So it's okay to be in between things. I'm not going to pigeonhole anybody. But where's that hunger for the word of God? Jesus said, if the lights are on, keep them on. Not just hear the word, but what did Jesus say? Keeps the word. He knows the difference. Yeah, I once went to a Sunday school class. Eh, That's not good enough. Jesus wants you to be keeping the word, however that manifests itself. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How can you walk by faith apart from the word of God? Keep the word of God. Hunger for it. That's the first exhortation. Well, actually, that's the first one. Hunger for it, and then secondly, keep it. I'll divide them up. That's what my notes say. We hunger for it, and once we have it, we keep it. What do we mean by keeping? Well, you use it every day. You use it every day. One commentary says, Jesus defines true blessedness as hearing and keeping the word of God. This definition involves a gospel ordering that cannot be reversed. The gospel is not a call to perform the keeping in order to get God's favor. Rather, it is a call first to hear, to receive the good news, and then be transformed and then keep it. So what is this keeping of the word? I thought of one illustration. um, How throughout my Christian life, as a young, young believer, a pastor's wife gave me a scripture. What do you mean gave me a scripture? She had a favorite Bible verse and she pointed it out to me and said, David, you should consider making this verse significant in your life. So I called it a life verse. Psalm 73, verse 26. 
I'd never read Psalm 73 as a young believer. But she shared it with me, and I said, boy, that sounds good. I was hungry and took a bite of that scripture, which says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I latched onto that verse. But I think it was July 11th, 1978, pastor's wife gave me that verse and I have clung to that. I have shared it at my wedding as part of my wedding vows. I have prayed that when I found out I was going to become a father or a grandfather and I knew my own inadequacies to meet the needs of my loved ones or the needs of my congregation. I regularly pray my flesh and my heart may fail. That's who I am but I have God in my life. God is the strength of my heart. God is my portion forever. What am I doing? I'm I'm clinging to that word. I didn't write it. I didn't make it up. I read it. And I'm believing it. And I'm using it. I bring it out all the time. When I realize I've said something, and we're not going to have any testimony, said something that offended someone. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. I'm human. And I minister in the strength of God, I hope. It's always dangerous to use yourself as an example. But I'm trying to give you an example. When Jesus says to hear the word and to keep it, do you grab God's word and keep it? You know, this is my favorite pen. I use it. Do you have a scripture that you use that's integrated to your life that you don't leave home without it? That's what Jesus wants to see because his word brings life. God's word makes us wiser than our enemies. God's word gives us promises to battle the evil one himself. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. Keep God's word, my friends. It will be the path to blessing. Hunger for it and then keep it. Finally, I have the letter S. Shine or share the word of God. I mentioned a pastor's wife who gave me a scripture just that afternoon. I was being baptized in a lake. It's changed my life. If you as a Christian know the preciousness of God's word, will you shine? That, that, that's part of how Jesus ends here. If your body is full of light, if you're a believer, you don't have that darkness. You'll be bright as a lamp when it gives light. So go ahead and shine. There's that further blessing to others if you yourself know and love and hold forth God's word. I think in part that's what our Sunday school program strives to be. We have teachers who come with a lesson and want kids and adults to be as excited about the word of God as they are. And there is the blessing. God's word is true. And Jesus worked so hard this afternoon as these reports tell us to make it clear who his true disciples are. May we hear, believe, and keep this word. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, your precious word that we can read in our own language. Father, we thank you for translators from the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. We thank you for our Bibles. But Father, may we not just be hearers, But may we be doers also. May we be keepers. 
May we see the smile of our Savior upon us as we cherish his word and share it with others. Oh, Father, may your word of truth bear fruit today. May someone here come to Christ. May someone commit their way to him and delay no longer. For your word is sufficient for the salvation of all who believe, to the Jew and to the Greek. For in it the power of God is revealed. Father, bless us. Bless many this day through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.